this week we're continuing our sermon series, trying to flesh out what we can tell about the future of the church. Our first week, we explored authenticity, uh, how when so many in our culture see Christians as hypocrites, it means that we will have, if we have any success, we will need to become more authentic, having real, hard, meaningful conversations. Then next, uh, last week, we shifted from speech to space. We talked about what it means to decenter the church, um, changing the building from being the center of our world to instead our focus and our time being out in our communities. Uh, remember, we're living through the midst of a massive cultural change in our country. Uh, of course, there have been the generational differences before this point, as always, uh, between each new generation. But what we're seeing in our lifetime is more than just that normal generational change. It's a complete reorientation in terms of how we think, what we value, how we exist in the world. A helpful way to get at one of these changes that's happening is through a lens of economics. In the past, say 150 years ago, the church was more or less the only charity organization in town. Uh, the vast majority of alms or charitable giving was funneled through the church first. And the main thing that propped up this system is the assumption that everybody tithes, gives 10% of their income. Most churches say it's a biblical commandment to give 10% of your income to the church. And you can plainly see how the church has a vested interest in, in this theology because then the church gets more money from people and also it trickles down into more charitable giving to the community. Now, it, it, it's never been the case that everybody's actually tithed. Um, right now, it's about uh, 3 to 10% of Christians actually tithe 10% of their income. However, especially in the past, there's been a lot of social pressure behind it. Uh, from the pulpit, there's preaching, claiming and talking about how strongly it is a religious requirement, uh, sometimes even shaming or coercing. And then within the culture of churches, there's a church culture that heightens that social pressure. So th this tithing, which is spurred on by this social pressure, funds the church, which then, a portion of which, trickles down into the community through charitable giving. Uh, this has more or less been the model of what the church and financial charity has looked like in the U.S. in the past. This is the way that our structures work. <clears throat> As we've noted one of the hallmarks of this profound cultural change is the death of Christendom. Not Christianity itself, but Christianity as, a, as the socially and politically dominant force. We in the Pacific Northwest are at the forefront of seeing that on the other side of this huge cultural shift, Christianity 
no longer has the same social power. There's no longer social pressure to go to church. And to our point before, there's no longer social pressure to give to the church, to fund charities through the medium of the church. And without that pressure, this whole economic setup we have goes into a tailspin. We have a new culture where the church is not the only game in town in terms of charitable giving. Because in this new culture, we've seen the explosion of nonprofits and NGOs doing good and effective work. With the development of the internet, there is increased transparency that charities must lean into because people can and do use the internet to research and get information before, in order to choose where they're giving. And there's an accountability mechanism. They are responsible and accountable to donors for results. And if they don't provide results, if they aren't effective, people are going to stop giving. Since brand loyalty is less important, if one nonprofit isn't doing effective work with appropriately low overhead costs, they're moving on. When people today have less disposable income than ever, now people are starting to say, if I don't have very much to give in the first place, I need it to count. And so are doing their homework and only working with effective organizations. So this lack of social pressure on one hand and the multiplication of charitable giving options has fractured the entire church funding model. We're no longer the only game in town. And we have increased accountability. Now we have to show that we're actually making a difference. Which, to be frank, many churches can't show. If they are, in fact, even making a difference. And thus, we lose the funding. In this new culture, on the other side of this paradigm shift, if you can't explain why your church isn't making as big of an impact as, say, Lions Club, or World Vision, or Helpline, or Fishline, then nobody's going to buy into it. And to be honest, even though it um, directly impacts my financial interests and job security, I'm really sympathetic to this perspective. If the church isn't going to be doing any good for me or for the world, then spend your money elsewhere where it actually will be used well. If God is at work in the world with whoever is joining in, why would I give the little money that I have to an ineffective church rather than a nonprofit doing the sacred work of caring for the broken? binding up the wounded, bringing life to the fullest, to the least of these. So all of this, the fracturing of, non, uh, of how the church funding works, nonprofits now doing good, effective work, all of this has massive implications for how we do church in the future. It means that the new church must hold at its core 
transformation of both lives and of the world. We got a little taste of that in our Ezekiel passage today, a fascinating passage. Ezekiel is speaking to a people in exile uh, to whom everything, lives, cities, homes, livelihoods, farms have been destroyed, who've been hauled off into captivity in another land. And in this context, Ezekiel paints a picture of transformation. He says, you will be transformed with a new heart, a new spirit, cleansed of impurities, able to more fully live into the ethics that God demands of you. You will be transformed. And society will be transformed. Ruins rebuilt. Cities repopulated. Desolate lands becoming fertile. No more famine. To a people who had just undergone the national trauma of everything destroyed, Ezekiel paints this picture of personal and sociopolitical rebirth from the destruction. Anything and everything is transformed. And we should be taking our cues from this. The Christian life is fundamentally about transformation. We talk about repentance and having a new life in Christ and spiritual growth and working to improve lives. This is all transformative stuff. And yet, at some point, we've lost sight of that. And that's something we can learn about from Ezekiel and from our new culture. In this new paradigm, this new way of doing church, one of the big ways that people are transformed is through participation. We have a tradition in our churches of passively consuming. Uh, The majority of the time is just sitting there with me telling you all information, like now, for example. Um, Those who've grown up with technology don't need to bother coming to a church at all if they're just sitting and consuming. Uh, If you sit and watch, there's no reason to go to a church instead of just listening to a sermon on YouTube. But those churches that are successfully navigating this cultural moment have found that participation engages people in community. It's no longer passive, just watching and listening. Rather, it's active. It's having discussions. It's about the community designing the worship. It's about an experience of all of you being in deeply engaged, be it inside a sanctuary or out. It's not about showing up nearly as much as contributing to constructing the experience itself. And for all this to be transformative, it has to be holistic. There's no reason to show up if you can't bring all of you to worship. They do demand that we engage the profane, the everyday, the ordinary stuff of life, not just try and silo off the sacred, whatever that means. Because they understand much better than us church folk 
that our whole lives are integrated, not compartmentalized. So when we say that we can't swear or, say, talk about sex or whatever so that we don't offend or we remain proper, we are fundamentally not allowing people to bring their whole selves to worship. We're demanding that we must become somebody different in worship than we are in our everyday lives. And that means people raised in this culture aren't going to waste their time with us. This new church, whatever it looks like, will be structurally centered around transformation. About being able to actively participate in and contribute to your transformation and the transformation of your community and the transformation of your world. And in doing so, incorporating all of us, warts and uncomfortable subjects and all. Uh, Here's one example of a way it can play out in a local church. There's a great church called Icon in Belfast. And they do something called the Evangelism Project. As they describe it, they take a group to another religious community to be evangelized. They ask the other, what do we look like to you? What is your experience of Christianity? And the other evangelizes to them. The good news of the evangelism project is that by seeing themselves through others' eyes, they might begin to see things in themselves that were previously repressed. It's a practice in which participants are decentered by their encounter with difference. The, The transformation that takes place occurs via an encounter with the gaze of the other that brings us face to face with the strange nature of our own beliefs. Their practice is fundamentally about transformation of people and communities through actively decentering one's perspective. The churches that do survive to make this transition in this brave new world will center transformation of our lives, of our communities, and of our world. They will be places where the community comes together to participate in making the worship experience what it is. It will be a place where all of human life is addressed when things aren't off the table just because they aren't proper or uncomfortable. The future church will be transformative. So, as we continue to discern who we are, who we're called to be, how we're called to be, as we continue this discernment, may you seek transformation in your your life and in your world. May you participate fully in the richness that is human relationship in communion with God. And may you continue to watch for the Holy Spirit blowing through this new culture and society, clearing out the cobwebs, 
and bringing new life to our bones. May it be so.